Well, as I mentioned earlier this morning, uh, we're starting a new series today called Our Stories. Um, And so through the course of the next couple of months, uh, we're going to be highlighting some of the stories of our people here at Restoration Church. But what what I want to make sure that we note is that we're not trying to magnify the story. What we're magnifying is the work of God in the midst of that story. Okay, Um, And so as we go about that, uh, we're also going to be working through some of the Psalms uh, as as we see some encouragement um, in some of those. So um, I have John and Casey Wheeler with me this morning. So um, and there's a picture of your family. You guys want to introduce your family to us? Yeah. So uh, we are John and Casey. Um, It went away already. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so our son Jensen is five. He is in kindergarten here at ADM. And then those are our twin girls, Emmy and Evie, or Emerson and Everly. And how old are the girls? They are four. Four, okay. Uh, so what, what do you guys do outside of Sunday morning? What do you do for work? What does that I look like? I stay home with our kiddos. I teach over at West Central Valley Middle School over in Redfield, and I've been there for the last two years, and then before that, two years at the high school at that district, so I've been at that district for four years, but I coach everything under the sun and teach, teach all year and summer's off, so. Yeah. Yep. Sure. Sure. Uh, and how, how long have you guys been a part of Restoration Church? So we started coming as soon as you guys launched in 2019 when we first started having services at the high school. So we've been here ever since, became members really quickly and sure. um, have been continuing to serve and, and things. Yeah. So. yeah, so so what I love about uh, John and Casey um, is they, you guys were at the high school, our first preview service, uh, which ironically enough, that first preview service we had there, Eternity Church launched this campus uh, on that same Sunday and now we're sitting in that building, right? Um, so fast forward. Um, four years and uh, it, it looks way different, right? Um, but you guys, you guys were there that first service, and I made the assumption that you had two kids because you had two kids with you, right? Um, which is what we're talking about this morning. So uh, some of us in the room, we we know pieces of this story, but maybe not the whole story together, right? Um, so that Sunday, Jensen and Emmy were with you. Evie was not, right? Um, so why don't you guys jump in uh, and and share kind of our story, uh, our story, your story uh, in the journey of what that has looked like for your family with the girls. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So stop me if I'm going too far. Go for it. Okay. Um, so in the summer of 2018, um, we were living in Manila, Iowa, a super small town near um, Denison and Carroll. Um, Denison is where John had his first teaching job. So uh, we found out we were pregnant. We went to our local OB and um, found out we were having twins. Uh, big surprise. So our local OB referred us to a high-risk doctor um, at Mercy One in Des Moines. Um, So we went to that appointment at about 11 weeks along, and um, we found out that our twins were called mono-mono twins. Um, It's a very, very rare type of twin pregnancy. Um, So typically when babies are in the womb, they each have their own amniotic sac, and um, that keeps them separated. But our girls shared a sack. So um, that meant that every time 
they were going to move around and about um, in utero, they were also going to twist and knot up their umbilical cords. Um, obviously, since umbilical cords is what provides all the nutrients to the babies, um, them twisting and knotting was a significant and eminent danger. Um, so that kind of is where our journey started. Yeah. Um, so when we were having uh, ultrasounds done at Mercy One, um, we also found out that baby A was having um, spine abnormalities, and that's about as specific as they could get at the time, because um, it was still pretty early on in the pregnancy. Um, so they tested for a whole bunch of different syndromes, spina bifida, chromosome abnormalities, um, Down syndrome, so we were super thankful that all of those tests came back negative, um, but still there was something going on and we weren't quite sure. Um, yeah, so, so what are your initial thoughts when you find out, okay, we have twins, but they're literally knit together in your womb, right? Sharing the same fluid, they're playing and twisting and turning, and, which is creating danger, right? Um, and then you start having to go through all of these tests, and some of them are coming back negative, but then some of them are coming back with, hey, we're not sure, we won't know until later. What, what are your initial thoughts just experiencing all of that and then the results of some of those tests? It was really scary. Um, I mean, we were young parents. We were 24, 25, yeah. and, um, so, and we had Jensen, who was like 15, 16 months old at the time. Um, so being young, living in a town where we didn't know anybody, um, only the coworkers um, that John had made as friends, um, it was a really scary time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so at 26 weeks, things start to change, right? So what, what started to change for the two of you at that point in the pregnancy? Yeah, so at 26 weeks, um, the doctors decided it was best for me to um, go inpatient at the hospital for daily monitoring of the baby's heart rates. Um, and they did this multiple times a day. Uh, they would do the non-stress tests and monitor the baby's heart rate for about an hour. Um, and I think I did that like three or four times a day. Um, and since I was inpatient, I was not allowed to leave the hospital. Insurance would not cover me if I left the premises and then came back. Um, so I was kind of stuck. And John, still, this was in like November is when I moved um, into the hospital. So John was still right in the middle of his school year teaching about an hour and a half away from Des Moines um, with Jensen. Yeah, so that looks like... Um single dadding it then for a long time and it felt like the longest time of our lives really um like it, it, i would wake up with him i would take him to daycare i'd go to work i'd get him from daycare go home do mr mom stuff like laundry and cleaning and groceries and getting him ready for bed and you know making sure he's taken care of for from november till the summer when we did end up coming all the way over here but that was a huge time where it really tested us and um with our with our marriage and just raising sure. our son and um but yeah it was just that was one of the most trying times right there so yeah yeah for sure so <clears throat> so you're in the hospital you're still at home an hour and a half away with jensen 
you're like, I mean, literally stuck in this hospital room, right? Yes. So, so at 32 weeks, it's planned that you're going to have a C-section, right? Yep. So. Yeah, so um, they didn't want me to go any further along than 32 weeks um, because as the babies were growing, less and less space was available for them to start to move around. And if um, they got too big and their umbilical cords were still knotted and twisted, which we knew that they were, um, they could, I mean, essentially like suffocate each other. So um, it was planned that at 32 weeks, I would have a C-section. Um, so the girls were born on December 20th, 2018, and there's a picture of Ev um, as she was born. Um, Everly was immediately intubated. Um, I got to see them for just a moment before they whisked John and the girls off to the NICU. Um, they intubated Ev, and Emmy was just on um, CPAP breathing support because she was so little. Um, but. Other than that, thankfully, Emmy was really healthy. Um, she had to learn how to breathe on her own and eat, um, but she didn't give us too many problems in the NICU. Um, Everly, on the other hand, so in like her first day or two of life, um, we kind of learned more about what her spinal abnormalities were gonna look like. So um, she had hemivertebrae scoliosis, um, and it was so severe that it caused her right lung to underdevelop, which is why she couldn't breathe um, on her own. Um, she also has missing and fused ribs. She has missing and fused ribs on her right side. Um, which, so usually you have 11 ribs and uh, this, she's got like four or five of them that kind of look weird for lack of better terms, but they just didn't develop. Um, and so she was kind of sitting like this all the time, right, because her spine forced her that way and crunched down in her lung like that. Um, and so that caused her to have to um, have a trach put in to help to hook up ventilation and oxygen mm -hmm. for her so she could breathe, and that was a big step as well for us to decide that she needed that. Um, but fast forward, she's done with that now. But yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, that was a tough time right there, learn, just learning every single day in the NICU about, well, now she's got this, what are you going to do? Now she's got this, here's your options. So it was, we were learning quite a bit. And it was and managing emotions and just, you don't want to see your kid go through that and there's so little and, um, but yeah. Yeah. So. And, and during that time, you're still living apart, right? Yes. So Emmy was in the NICU as well? but just for a few days, yeah. right? Emmy was in the NICU for 26 days. Okay. Um, so when she was discharged, um, me and her kind of moved in with my parents who okay. live here in Adel. Um, so we could travel back and forth every day to um, visit Ev in the NICU. Thankfully, they let me um, bring Emerson with us. Um, yeah, we were in the NICU with Everly for 172 days, which is just shy of six months. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. Yeah. Finally, in June of 2019 is when we all five were uh, back together under one roof. Sure. And moved here, right? Yeah, we moved here on June 1st, and Ev was discharged on June 10th. So things yeah. had to move pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And when we moved here, um, John had not found a job yet. We knew that this is where we had to be. We knew we had to be close to Everly's doctors. We knew we had to be close to family. Um, so that was a big prayer at, at that point in our lives was for John to find a teaching job. Yeah, yeah. So 
Evie's home from the NICU now. Everybody's together under one roof, but now the next phase starts. So what, is, what does all that look like? Um, so let me, let me jump ahead just a little bit. Where, where's Evie at today is as far as like surgeries and process and, and those types of things? Yeah, so um, to date, uh, I think we've seen 10 specialists. She's had nine surgeries. And um, currently, she's undergoing a process of surgeries called um, vector rod implantations. So um, these are growing rods that um, were surgically placed. She has one that is connecting her spine, or not connecting, but going to straighten her spine. And then one that rod that is connecting her ribs. Um, so she will have surgeries to grow these rods as she grows um, about once every nine months to a year. Um, and we found an amazing team um, at CHOP at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. So we travel to Philadelphia uh, once every year or so to get those um, rods lengthened so she can grow. Mm -hmm. And we are, she's had the rods implanted and we've had one expansion so far. Yeah, and she's already taller. Yes, <laughs> and straighter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, so John, let me ask this question. In the midst of all of that, right? I mean, you have six weeks before the girls are born that you're away from your wife, right? And then post-birth, you've got 172 days that Evie is in the NICU. So in the midst of all of that, how did God show up? So, um, yeah, he just, he just watched uh, after, I mean, she, she put, well, first he, uh, he put her in my life since she's a great mom and they just, it is, it is like, she's so strong and she does everything. Um, she did everything for those girls while I was away. And, um, so that's a huge testament. And then, um, I just, I just remember just talking with God sometimes like, like, I just would ask him why, you know, like, what, why, yeah. like, why, why is this going on with us? And, um, and again, that's human nature. We're, we're not meant to know. It's just, we're following his plan and trusting in him. And you just, in those lonely times, you just have to realize that and, and trust in your faith that, that he's going to take us through it. And, and he, he gave us this challenge for a reason and, um, in this journey for a reason that we might be able to share something like this and hopefully change somebody's life. Um, there were some things also, a couple, a couple of instances, so um, bear with me here, it might be a little tough. Um, there's a couple of instances where um, we almost lost Everly. Um, so the first one was um, we took her home, and a couple of weeks later, uh, she, was, she I was acting kind of sick at home, and um, we just figured we'd take her in. She wasn't breathing very well. And this is, again, it was like two weeks fresh out of the NICU. So we went into the ER at Mercy downtown, and um, we got her there. We got her on lead lines and just, you know, making sure she's okay. And then um, we were there for just a little while, and then she started to um, code on us, which is her oxygen and heart rate are plummeting. And so they had to get the whole team in there and um, do CPR and try to get her back. And, uh, and at this point, uh, I mean, she did, fast forward, she did probably 18 minutes of CPR with no avail. And so at that point, one of the nurses and a chaplain came in and told me, hey, like, 
you need to call people. Like, we're not getting her back. They told me that. And that was hard to take as a father watching her in the corner crying while I'm walking out and trying to take care of things. I just remember I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to go out and just be alone for a second. I just remember, like, screaming out to my God, like, I... Like, what are you doing? Like, why would you, why would you do this to us? Like, why would you make us be apart? And why would you do this to us while we're, like, struggling? And then just to take her away from us. Like, I just remember talking, like, thinking about that and just, um, just, like, as human nature, just blaming people. Like, that's not what we're doing. We're sinful in nature. And, um, but then there was just a huge calmness over me at that point. I just remember... Um, being very silent and just as clear as day, just a, just a voice and a comfort saying like, John, go back into that room. You're going to watch me save her life. And then you're going to proclaim the, proclaim the gospel about what just happened. And this is part of that right now. Like this is fruition. This is coming to it where we can share the gospel because of our daughter. And, and it, it's just crazy how he shows up right there. Right, and in, in our he takes us to the lowest to get us to meet him, and that's how he did that for me. I've never been the same since that part. Part. So she came up and she, you know, hey, we got her, and she gave us a little smile, and that, you know, and everything is going to be okay at that point. And it's just, she does that. She just, she just, she just does it. Um, and then the second way that God showed up is over this past Christmas break. So we, so she was almost four, so past a lot of this initial NICU stuff. Um, it was Christmas break. I don't remember if it was before or after the actual day. Um, but at night, she was um, struggling breathing. We kept having to go in and kind of like check on her and maybe adjust oxygen settings. And um, about three or four times in, it was my turn. She's like, hey, it's your turn. Get up, you know. And, and I go in and um, she's not doing well. She, her oxygen's plummeting. I'm trying to fidget for extra things uh, to help. And then uh, Casey comes in because she's hearing me struggling with things. And um, then she took her. And at that point, when she was taking her and trying to calm her down, uh, she went limp in, in Casey's arms. And, you know, there's tears and screaming Everly's name. And at that point, I mean, she's... Um, not showing signs of life at anything. And so I take her from Casey and I'm like, you need to call 911. And I started doing CPR on her. Um, so that was really hard because we thought that we were kind of out of those woods. And um, what had happened, this was post trach, like she had her trach removed and this was like post trach. So like there couldn't have been a mucus plug in a trach, but her lungs are, were so um, not, ready to clear away like if you have a cold like we can just kind of like cough or get some phlegm out but her lungs are a little bit different where they're really um weaker so she wasn't able to clear her airway as well and it just kind of got lodged in there and um she couldn't get it and she just didn't breathe anymore and so i just did cpr for probably a couple rounds and um right as i was kind of getting her back to to life um then the paramedics and the police showed up and took her away in the ambulance and we spent the night in the ER and went home early that morning as well. So that was another way that God showed up. He just gave uh, both of us the poise and the, um, just the patience to uh, be there for her when, when 
no one else would have. I mean, it's, it's just, just thinking about that post CPR, like how do you do that on your kid? Like, it's just really hard to like put into focus like how hard that was. But. Sure. This is also a reminder, get CPR certified. You never know when you might need it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, those are two major like extreme ways where he showed up sure. at that point. Sure, yeah. So I remember in, in the middle of that, um, so, so what's, what's weird about this whole thing that you, you guys got to remember that John and Casey, Casey grew up here, uh, but John and Casey moved to Adel June 1st, right? Like nine days before Evie comes home from the hospital. You've been to one service at Restoration Church, right? Because we just had monthly preview services at that point. I'm trying to get John to let me help him and find people within our church to help them move in. And he's like, I don't, I don't know, like, it's kind of weird. And then, like, Evie comes home, and I come over to your house, like, hey, like, we just want to pray for her, like, we want to know what's going on. And I remember the first time that she was in the high school auditorium. <laughs> and I was preaching, <laughs> and her machine went off. And I was like, Evie's in the room. She's here. Because there were so many of those moments where we didn't know if she would be, right? So in the midst of all of that, was there any particular verse of Scripture or just passage of Scripture that you just held to all the time? Like, God, I know you're here, and I just got to keep remembering this verse or, or this passage of Scripture. There's one that, um, that really stands out. Um, I put two, but really just the one I was thinking of. Um, it's from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, where it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. Yeah. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Mm. I just, I love that verse because that's what your life is. Like you, like, you can be anxious about everything. Like, there's literally every, like, you're so busy and you're just anxious that you want to do the right thing, but it's okay. God has it. Pray yeah. about everything. Sure. And he has you. Sure. And, and a peace of God that surpasses all understanding, right? Like, God, I don't know what you're doing in the midst of this, right? I, I can't understand what you're doing, but you're just doing it, right? Um, so during those times, and even still today, how, how have the people of God showed up around you guys and just cared for you? We have a village, you guys, and it's amazing. Um, we have had fundraisers, benefits. People have offered to watch our kids while we um, go out for surgeries um, in Philadelphia. Um, we have an amazing group um, out of Panora that sponsors us called Tori's Angels, and they sponsor us financially. Um, they pay for our airfare and our hotels, any, anything that our insurance doesn't cover um, for Ev, they pay for, which is a huge, huge blessing because I'm not sure that we would be able to um, give Everly the true care that she needs if we didn't have that with us. Mm -hmm. um, we, yeah, people have just been so eager to help. Um, yeah, it's been amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. So, so what's next? You, you mentioned 
once every nine or so months that Evie has to go in and have the rods adjusted. So is that scheduled for this year yet? Do you yeah, know when that it's will not be? scheduled for this year quite yet, um, but it will be like August or September is when we'll um, go back out to Philly to have them adjust those rods. Um, thankfully, now that the rods are placed, the adjustments are quick and easy. So we should only be there for an, like one overnight and then we can head back home. Um, and she has done amazing um, with recovery from those. Yeah, yeah. So, so how can we as a church still come around you guys? How can we pray for you? What, what are some tangible things that we need to pray for? Um, so just her upcoming surgeries, and this will be an outlook to put her probably in middle school by the time we're done with these um, expansion surgeries, and then we'll reassess of what she still needs. So it's a long haul. So just continue prayers for safety of, of our travels to Philadelphia for her surgeries and that they keep continuing to go well as they have so far. Um, just finances, just the, just the, the burdens and the struggles of being a um, single income family at this point um, as she's still at home with the kids. And um, so that, and, um, and then lastly, and probably most importantly that um, just pray that people will come to know Christ because of this mm. um, and just hear that um, he's there even in the toughest circumstances when you feel alone. I just, he, he is there and we've leaned on him and I want people to come to Christ. That's, yeah. what, that's what this is. That's what, that's what I heard from God that one time <laughs> in the sure. ER. So I just sure. really pushed that. So. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, and there's so many passages of scripture that speak to that. So I want to invite you guys to open up to Psalm 16. Uh, and then I'm going to pray for John and Casey. Uh, and we're going to look at Psalm 16 real quick here. Um, Father God, thank you. Lord, thank you for the story that you're writing. Um, God, we are so thankful um, for the Wheeler family. Uh, God, that um, Heavy just gets to run around and be a part of what's happening here. But God, she has a story to tell, um, God, of how you have rescued her, God, how you've cared for her, um, God, she's just, uh, she's a miracle in front of us, um, God, may we not miss that, uh, Lord, I pray for John and Casey and, um, the struggle that it is for them to uh, to be parents of a child that is dealing with all of these things. God, I pray that you would give them that peace that is above all understanding. Um, God, that even when they don't understand why this is happening in this moment, God, that you would give them peace. Um, God, use this family and use this story uh, to expand your kingdom. Um, God, because in this family, we can see the miracles of God in front of us. God, we thank you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <clears throat> yeah. Um, let, me, let me just say this. It is not easy uh, to sit in front of people and share your story, especially a, a story that is... Um, continuing a story that is uh, that is difficult, and so I really appreciate John and Casey just 
sharing that with us. Um, I, I asked you to turn to Psalm 16, uh, just a, a short psalm here that, that I want us to look at this morning because I think it offers uh, a, some encouragement for us, not just in uh, the Wheeler story, but in our own lives. So if you look with me at Psalm 16, it says this, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is a, a psalm of David, and I want us to consider David's life. If you know anything about the story of David, most of the time what really gets highlighted is this moment where he slays the giant, right? He becomes king, and then he falls mightily in his sin. But as we look at Psalm 16, I want you to consider these things about his life, that he was a young boy who was overshadowed by his brothers. You know, when Samuel came to anoint the next king, even his own dad saved David for last because he thought there's no way that God would want this boy to be the king of Israel. Yet, David was anointed king of Israel as a teenager while there was still a king. King Saul was still on the throne when David was anointed king, and he spent the rest of Saul's life running because King Saul wanted to take David out. Yet, in the midst of all of that, he writes these words in Psalm 16. Verse 2, he says, you are my Lord. Verse 1, he says, oh God, preserve me. And then in verse 8, can you imagine this? As he's fleeing for his life, running from King Saul, David says, I shall not be shaken. So it leads to this question, how does this psalm help us? Because we're not King David. We're not fleeing from a king who's trying to take our life. So how does this psalm help us? There's three phrases here that we see in Psalm 16. The first one is this, that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Like when you are dealing with all kinds of things just coming at you, there's one God that is a refuge, right? A, a God who is a place of shelter. He's a place of protection and safety. 
When you don't feel it anywhere else, God is our refuge. The second phrase is this, that God gives counsel. Verse 7 says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. It's God himself that gives the counsel to David. It's God who gives counsel to us. And James says it this way in James 1 verse 5. He says that if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God to give it to him. When you don't know what the next step is, you know who does know what the next step is? God. God knows what is in front of you. And then the third phrase is this, and I think this is the one that we need most often when we're experiencing the unknown, right? When we're experiencing great strife within our life, it's this phrase that God will not abandon us. God will not leave us. He will not forsake us. He doesn't look at his children and see them in tragedy and just walk away. No, God steps into the tragedy. God saw a broken world, affected by sin, everything, not just the, the, the humans, but all of creation affected by sin. God sees that tragedy, and he doesn't leave the tragedy alone and walk away. No, he sends his son to step into the tragedy, to walk amongst the creation. Because God won't abandon us. We experience refuge, counsel, and belonging in the presence of the Lord. Look at verse 11. Don't miss this. David writes this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. Isn't that a statement that we all want to know in our life, right? Like, God, I have no idea what to do. Can you just make known that path for me? You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We sang that earlier. But I wonder if we believe it. That if God's not here, I don't want to be here. Some of us in our culture, we live in such a way that we want to go to heaven so badly, but we don't care if God's there or not. I don't want to go to heaven if that's not where God is. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to take the next step if God's not moving, right? If God doesn't move, I don't want to move. Do we believe that? David says that in your presence, in the presence of God, is joy. You see, in the presence of God, there's freedom. There's freedom from our sin. In the presence of God, there's peace in the midst of uncertainty. In the presence of God, there's value and worth because we're created in the image of God. In the presence of God, there is direction even when we don't know where we're going. In the presence of God, there is understanding. Sometimes it's not an understanding right now. It's a future understanding. But in the presence of God, there is understanding. And in the presence of God, there is joy. 
There is joy. Listen, we can chase after anything else in this world, but I can tell you, and you can probably tell other people because you've experienced it, at some point, that thing that you're chasing no longer satisfies. There is one person and one person only who satisfies, and his name is Jesus. Let me ask us this question. Are we in the presence of the Lord?